Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. San Jose is home to tens of thousands of Vietnamese Americans, many of whom came over as refugees after the U.S. pulled out of Vietnam. The people who left encountered huge difficulties in their journeys to the U.S., and then the hard work of building entirely new lives began. Tin Pham's brilliant new graphic memoir, Family Style, tells the story of his family through a series of memories of foods. In the details of Salisbury steaks or rice and fish, the new immigrant family's dreams and sacrifices are revealed. It's a beautiful book, and for today's All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, we'll talk with fam about why food memories are so special. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's another edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, our regular series about Bay Area food cultures. Welcome, as always, Luke. Thanks so much, Alexis. Happy to be here. Oh, man. Today, Luke, we have a special book to discuss. This graphic memoir, Family Style, from Tin Fam. It's just, it's beautiful. It's moving, gutting, hopeful. And there's a lot of good food, too, you know? Absolutely. Um, we want to welcome in Tin this morning. Of course, he's the author of this graphic memoir, Family Style, from the best graphic publisher for a second press. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Tin. Oh, thank you so much for that intro, and uh, I hope I'm so happy that you guys like the book. Yeah, um, Luke, you've known Tin for a long time. Why don't you introduce him to our community? Like, how do you all know each other? Yeah, well, bef- you know, before some people might know that before I became a food writer, uh, my pr- previous career was as a high school English teacher. And so when I first moved to the Bay Area, um, uh, I taught for exactly one year um, at this high school in Oakland called a very Bishop storied year, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this high school in Oakland called Bishop O'Dowd, uh, where Tin uh, is still um, a legendary, continues to be a legendary <laughs> art teacher there. Um, and so his classroom, I think, was literally like right next door to mine. And so we would sometimes have lunch together. And, you know, I just remember him being a nice guy. But we didn't really get to know each other until a couple years later after I had quit and I'd started food writing and I became the food critic of the East Bay Express. And so uh, I had remembered that Tin was really into food, you know, that he was a food person. And so I had like this sort of group email that I started when I first started that job of just like asking people if they want to come with me when I was reviewing restaurants, you know, to, <laughs> to check out the food. And I just know that I remember that Tin was literally always the first person to respond. In fact, sometimes like- Here's your with, reply guy. Within yeah. like two minutes of me sending out the email, he'd just reply and he'd be like, I'm down. And to, to, the, point, to the point where like, 
eventually, <laughs> like after a few months of this, I pretty much stopped inviting other people because like everyone else was like, oh, I have to check with my wife. I have to, you know, make sure that, you know, it's okay for me to go with my childcare. And Tin was just like always game, always down. And so he's just been sort of my food buddy for like going on probably like 10 years now. Yeah. And so oh, we man. just like have gone on these amazing food adventures, like sometimes hitting up like four restaurants <laughs> like in a single day. Um, and yeah, so that's, and then when, and then when I, when I got a f- sort of official staff position at the express, um, he started, uh, he, he did comics and he started pitching me ideas for food comics. And so we've actually worked together a bunch of times as oh, well. It's beautiful. So you were obviously not, um, surprised by the way that this book is constructed around food memories. And Tim, why don't you talk to us a little bit about this book's origin story, which is also kind of your origin story. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I had been really into food, and for a while I was uh, doing uh, comics, like for the East Bay Express, before, even before Luke. I, was, I, I had a, a, a comic strip called I Like Eating, where I would review um, Oakland restaurants. <laughs> Wait, it was literally called I Like yeah, Eating. Yeah, it was called I Like Eating. <laughs> uh, uh, this book was actually started off as going to be called I Like Eating, too, and then the publisher was like, that, you no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, where I would review um, East Bay restaurants uh, in comic form, um, and so well, then uh, we stopped doing that because uh, all the those um, papers uh, yeah. didn't have the budget for it. But then when Luke became the writer, I was like, I, I was just uh, I loved the idea of going out to eat on uh, a newspaper budget. <laughs> <laughs> so when Luke would invite me, I'd be like, yes. And I think one of the reasons that we kept doing it was because I would eat everything. Like, I, I, you know, there were people that would like have dietary restrictions or they don't like certain things, but I would eat everything and Luke would make me eat everything. There were times where I'm like, Luke, I don't know if I want to eat that. And Luke's like, well, this is part of the deal. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm good enough to eat this. Um but um, but yeah, I, when I I've been wanting to write a memoir about uh, my parents' immigration for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, kind of like ever since I started comics, um, and everybody really tried to encourage me to do it because the story at as I had heard it back then was pretty enthralling. Uh, mm-hmm. I was really into it. However, I was never able to. Um, find my own voice into it. There had already hmm. been so many uh, books and comics about the Vietnamese diaspora that like, I I didn't know how mine would be any different from everybody else's. And um, it wasn't until the, the, the quarantine that I actually, um, you know, at, at 40, I think I was 46 or 7 at the time, I was visiting my parents weekly in San Jose and I finally said, you know what? I want, I'm going to ask them the question. I'm going to say, Mom, just tell me the story about us coming to America. And I think it was just like a perfect timing because we started talking about it. And she was telling us all this, um, telling me all the details. And I mean, it was our life, but I was so moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like, I, I was like, like there were many times I was driving home from my parents' house after they were telling me some of the um, more particularly harrowing details of our trip to America that I like was in my car just sobbing. Mm. Um, and I was like, I have to write this book 
you know, it's time. And um, so I started doing it, but it wasn't until everything clicked was one day I was talking to my parents and uh, my mom asked me like what I remembered. And uh, I told her and I realized that as I was telling her that everything that I remember was based on food. <laughs> so yeah. like I was like I would tell my mom, I would say, oh, yeah, I remember that time at on the refugee camp that you made the bun. Oh, and then I remember when we first came to America, I had that steak and we threw. Oh, and then I realized that like everything I remember. And honestly, that was your through line. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, in my life, I can tell you that everything I remember in my life is through food. I remember all the dinners and the lunches and all that, that like, um, I remember like that happened in the big moments of my life. So I, I was, that was my aha moment. And I was like, Oh, this is my voice. This is how I'm going to tell this story. And this is how I'm going to approach this story. Um, and Why don't you tell us the first one? Why, let's start with rice and fish, which is a, a very harrowing part of this, of this journey. Yeah. Um, I, I um it starts my my story starts off as saying my first memory is not um a, a a smell or a sight but it's it's a taste and um and when I read it it sounds like I someone might have made this up but this is very true uh, if I close my eyes like I can still taste this um this rice ball that my mom had like hidden in her pocket um for like the duration of our uh, our uh, boat trip to America and given to me at the end when we had nothing left and I was uh very so hungry um I it was this um it, the sweetness of of that rice and and then the the saltiness of the fish I mean I I can still taste it and once in a while when I have something like that my mom would still make uh fish and rice and uh, you know fish and rice is a staple in a, many many different dish uh mm -hmm. cultural dishes and once in a while like when i have an onigiri or when i have um like um like i go to a mexican restaurant and I have like a whole fish with with rice and 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 tortillas i that this memory there's a hint of it there. yeah this memory always comes up and i just remember it i just I, it's a memory of comfort um, even though it has been, it has been such a, um, a, you know, harrowing journey. Like I just every time I have it, it makes me feel like very comforted. It makes me feel like taken care of. Um, mm. And uh, and it's uh, that taste today to this day is still that memory for me all the time. I mean, just for for folks who don't know the story yet, and of course they should get the book Family Style and read it. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's so visually stunning. Your family has just fled Vietnam as refugees and then been held up by pirates as you sort of closed your eyes Yeah, your mom just um, held you. My mom like basically comforted us um, or comforted me and uh, my brother through this whole thing. Um, and so to be honest, like what is depicted in the book is, is my actual recollection of it. <laughs> um, and so it's very broken up and almost... Um, nightmare-ish because when I do think about it it's usually in that term yeah. um, when I talk to my parents about it so much long you know like recently and they filled in the blanks you know it's even more harrowing than I even remember um, and I, I, I remember the day that we were talking about it and 
that was the day I looked at my mom and my dad and and I, I think I, so many so long I've just been taking them for granted and like I um I just looked at them and I was like these these two people are like my hero right like yeah. they're like um I had just never seen them in that way because they were at the time they're like so young and and they're moving their families across uh, on this boat you know and they're you know they're 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 being attacked by pirates and they 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 basically take the time to comfort their ch- their children mm-hmm. and then at the end to make sure like even before themselves that i had something to eat to make sure mm-hmm. that i was okay after this devastation you know that had just kind of happened and like at that moment when they had given me the 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 rice ball um they probably honestly don't didn't think that we would make it you know at that time the pirates wow. had taken the uh all the the gas they've taken all the everything that we had and just basically left our boat just adrift in the middle of the ocean for for death really um and 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 at that time even at that time they still had the hope that we would and the you know and still made sure that their kids were being taken care of which you know again now that i'm saying it i'm like i'm, I'm feeling a, i'm a little more uh, I'm yeah getting, you know, me but too. it's just that it, i i just feel like all my life i've t- just taken my parents and and our immigration mm-hmm. and our our, our uh, everything to america so much for granted yeah yeah and we're talking yeah with comic arts, we're gonna we're gonna keep going deeper into these memories. We're talking with comic artist Tin Fam about his new graphic memoir, Family Style: Memories of an American from Vietnam. Part of our regular food series on KQED. It's all you can eat with our food editor Luke Sai. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us about a dish that will always be associated with an important event or time in your life. Food dish. Give us a call. The number is eight six six seven three three. 6786. That's a food memory associated with an important time of your life. The email is forum at kqed.org, and we're KQED Forum on all the social things. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is our regular series on the Bay Area's food cultures, all you can eat with KQED food editor Luke Sai. And this morning we're talking with comic artist Tin Pham about his new graphic memoir. It's a really beautiful book, Family Style, Memories of an American from Vietnam. And we're going to be taking some of your calls about your food memories. You can tell us about a dish 
that will always be associated with an important time, event, or transition in your life. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Luke Sai, I want to hand it to you as we kind of walk through a couple of these other food memories um, that help structure this graphic novel family style, graphic memoir family yeah. style. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and Tin, I know uh, in the in the previous part you were talking about your parents um, being your your sort of heroes and coming to a new realization of that um, as you were talking to them about um, this part of your history. Um, and so I just wanted to pick up uh, where we left off and and sort of the second story in the in the book. The second memory is when you guys are in the refugee camp in Thailand, right? Um, and you arrive there, um, and almost immediately after that, um, your mom, I guess, takes over this like little food stall from another person who was leaving, um, making and correct me if I'm pronouncing wrong, but bangun, um, and um, and uh, and and um, and apparently it was a dish that she had never even made before right could you could, could you <laughs> tell us a little, of it. <laughs> a little bit about that story and and kind of i feel like it's so emblematic of like the way that your mom is is portrayed in the book my mom is definitely um you know again when when i was real read uh hearing the stories and um and writing this book, I realized that like n- I would never be here. None of us would like my family would be here without my mom and her. Um, she she just didn't have any fear um, about uh, of anything, um, and she had this. Um, I think all her life she just had this like um, survival instinct and was willing to do anything to um you know uh put her family in a better place and as soon as we arrived on um in the refugee camp and uh, basically we didn't have there was not enough room for us in the refugee camp and uh and my mom realized that we could be there for a very long time and we couldn't rely on the the minimal amount that we were able to sneak um, past the the pirates and and that uh, any help that we were given, so she took everything that we had, basically just the little amount that we were able to sneak past the pirates, took everything we had, and basically invested it. Um, and we were like, mm-hmm. no, take that and buy food, but uh, buy buy things for us. But she took that and and decided to um, buy this um, uh, bankung stand. Uh, that uh, one of her friends who was about to leave to come to America was gonna abandon and um, and just run it, and she didn't. She had no idea how. Can you um, describe uh, for yeah. listeners? Oh, yeah. know, like what that dish actually is. Bankung is amazing, and if you hadn't had this before, it's um, basically um, like a thin um, noodle that is. That's not a noodle. It's like a flour, a rice flour, that is steamed on this kind of like. Um, drum-like steamer it's like um basically a steamer that has a um i i think it's cotton like um uh she on top it looks like a drum and the 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 flour or the dough or um is is poured over top and then it's like a crepe almost like a steam crepe and it creates this like really thin delicate chewy um but like amazing texture, texturally like uh, kind of like um, 
like a, a rice uh, paper almost, right? Like, mm. like really beautifully delicate and perfect, and um, and it's it's basically like, uh, and then it's filled with um, uh, uh, stuffing, usually pork and uh, uh, woodier mushrooms, and then uh, folded in a certain way. It's served with um, uh, 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 mung bean uh, sprouts and uh, and uh, like cucumbers and. Um, and uh, ja, which is like a, a Vietnamese pork sausage. Uh, it's another steamed pork sausage, and uh, and with fish sauce, or nuk cham that has been like made, and it is uh, it is addicting. Uh, you know, like it seems so simple, and it doesn't seem like it's anything that that you look. But if you have it, it's just all the different textures and. Um, and uh, the the savoriness of it, but then the sweetness of the the fish sauce, it all just like works together to make this like perfect bite, and it's uh, a pretty addicting meal. I think mm. I, um, it's uh, you can buy it like at a lot of restaurants in the Bay Area, and it's not as popular as like pho or anything like that. So people don't really think to get it, but um, if you have it, you'll just be like, oh. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Is. and in the book, it just, I guess the, the reason I ask this because you portray it, it seems like it's a very, like, kind of intricate process yeah. to make it. And sh- she had never done it before. <laughs> and then, like, a day later, she's, like, selling it to people, yeah. right? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, in the book, she didn't. it didn't start off perfect. <laughs> you know, it didn't go well for a long time. But that's always been my mom and my parents. You know, later on in the, in the story, they also buy a, a French bakery, and they had no idea how to... You know, like they were, they just. I think they went came with it uh, with the the kind of like thought that like whatever they, whatever they put their mind to, they can do. Um, and it's something that I think was passed on to me. And now that I think about it, a lot of my like my attitude towards that it comes from them. You know, and I never really thought about that until mm-hmm. I actually until now. But yeah, they always had this, um, this this. Uh, thought that if they worked hard at it, that it would come. We can do it. And yeah, and um, and it was so fortunate because we were on that refugee camp for a very long time, and um, and and that basically sustained us uh for uh for the duration of our stay. Um, the one of the interesting things about the being in the refugee camp was, you know. I always thought of it as being very like you know we we basically lived in in shacks. It was like um, there was no real housing. It was built on like bamboo poles and wood, scrap wood and stuff like that. It was very um, it was like I always thought it was very uh, sad. But when I talked to my dad and my mom about it, their memories of that refugee camp is of like joy. Hmm. You know, they they remember that that's one of the best times of our lives because we, I think that was one of the moments where even if it was the, our situation was dire at the time, they everyone there had hope. You know, everybody had hope that we would, uh, you know, be sponsored and go to America and... And you were have, all together, too. Yeah, right? and we were all together. This whole, like, uh, you know, like, um, group of, uh, a community of people that helped each other out, that was there, and they all had hope and would talk about what they would do when they come go to America. And mm. and and that, like, I think gave them the joy and, and like, 
Um, and I, I, myself, I also remember that time as a joyful time and just running around and playing with the kids and <laughs> and trying to do the best, just trying to make the yeah. best with what you had. Um, and I, I love that when my parents said that. I that's when I was like, I don't want this book to be a book that was just sad, you know. And yeah. and I did. I wanted to infuse the joy in it, like the joy of our you know our time as refugees and. And um, you know my mom and her business and everything. I wanted to infuse that into the book because um, it wasn't. You know, I I don't think my parents saw it as all sad. Right. That's know? the whole story. To yeah. Do it that way. Yeah. yeah. Let's um bring in Emma from Moraga. Welcome, Emma. Hi there. Um, I can totally relate. Although I'm Latina, my parents came from Central America, and at one point we had eight family members living in the mission in a one-bedroom Victorian. And all I can think about was what a joy it was at my, you know, age of five or ten, having all these people talking about food, living about food, and all we wanted to do is, let's say, all eight of us get into a Chevy Citation and go to Mitchell's Ice Cream, because <laughs> it was, you know, all that brought us joy. And although my parents don't cook as well as um, the author who I'm in love with now, even though I'm married, I want to be his best friend and his eatery partner. Um, he, I mean, all the stuff my mom has made, we call it daisy chicken and daisy rice and all this stuff because my mom made it and my kids love it now, even though I wouldn't really recommend it to anybody else. But <laughs> my memory is of my parents um, being, you know, working full time and my brother being and I alone being at our house and eating corn tortillas with mayonnaise that's all we had over the stove and it is my favorite thing to eat and nobody in the world knows this except for my brother so thank you for this show I can't wait to get the book and I'm gonna like totally stalk you thank you Uh, thank you so much Emma so appreciate that we're talking with comic artist Tin Fam definitely someone you should be in love with Um, (laughs) it's got a new graphic memoir family style memories of an American from Vietnam Obviously, part of our regular series on barrier food cultures, all you can eat. So we've got KQED food editor Luke Sai here as well, and we'll be taking some of your memories, talking about dishes or things that you've eaten that you kind of always associate with an important event or time in your life. The number is eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or Instagram, or KQED Forum. Um, Tin, I wanted to talk to you about some of the memories of landing in San Jose. You know, your number gets called, and your family arrives in in San Jose, and you learn to eat potato chips. (laughs) (laughs) Like, talk to me about what what potato chips and strawberries, you know, that's one of the, the chapters of the book. Like, what did those things really, like, symbolize for you? Well, for us, um, potato chips was so American. And I think there was a... Um, and I think chocolate was kind of similar as well, where it was uh, um, almost a badge that you are now, you know, being becoming American. Um, and that's kind of what the, the, the chapter... That chapter was there for me, was us becoming American and, and starting, you know, um, to see... Uh, uh, and feel American culture. Um, I my, I asked my parents what was the. I asked them what was the 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 
the the the most impactful thing that happened to them when they first arrived in San Jose, and my dad was just like, just the abundance of things. <laughs> he was just like so many buildings, so many cars, and then when uh, right off the bat, my uncle who was sponsored us to a uh, um, uh, to America took us to a supermarket, and when we had you know. You know, we came from Vietnam. We were in the refugee camp for a year. We go to like uh, it was. I think it was the Lucky's at the time, <laughs> and the door like slides open. <laughs> you know, the the air conditioner comes rushing out at us. The lights just shoot out, and I just remember the colors. We were like, and I think we were just like aghast. There was just so many things, so many colors, and so beeps and bops, and everything's just. Salting you, and it was glorious. Um, to this day, to this day, Target is like my <laughs> my comfort place. Target in Emeryville. Yeah. Oh, to, uh, Emeryville Target's the best. Yeah, Albany. I totally agree. Oh my gosh, um, I I love that because it's comforting to me. I don't know why. Um, but one of the things with potato chips that I thought was funny and is very similar to the the person that just called in recently is that we would see signs on the billboards of a potato chip, but it would have like a dip on it, like a French onion dip or whatever it is. And I remember uh, as a kid seeing those signs and thinking, oh, that must be mayonnaise, because that was the only thing we knew of that had that kind of consistency that looked like that. So... For most of my life, I ate potato chips, corn chips, all these things with mayonnaise, just dipping it in straight mayonnaise because we had thought that that was American. That's how Americans eat potato chips. They eat it with mayonnaise because we saw those signs. And it's delicious because everything with mayonnaise is delicious, of course. So, <laughs> so I remember just being very addicted to that, and uh, and uh, and much like uh, our our caller, um, it's still one of the things I'll I'll, I'll default to, you oh, know. And um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, when I first had the potato chip, I just I just had never had that taste before. It that that potato chip is a very different taste than uh, Vietnamese food. Um, same with like uh, when we also when we first came to America we had steak and potatoes you know and it was like the steak was cooked in a, in a very American way my uncle uh, married my aunt and my uncle is Caucasian and uh, mm-hmm. he had cooked it you know just like the way you would cook you'd, you'd pan fry it on both sides and each we all, all each had a steak and it was like really like something that you don't really see very often you know it was the seasoning was just like salt and pepper and uh and it was just, it just was so foreign, but at the same time, so delicious that mm-hmm. I was immediately like, I love this. <laughs> yeah, I love the way that sometimes these foods that really in and of themselves are not that special get this sort of halo from the experience that you have with them. Like yeah. Thinking back to when my family moved from Los Angeles to rural Washington State, and we arrived ahead of like all of our stuff. It was 1992. And so we're just surrounded by acreage. We moved out into this rural place, and there's nothing in the house at all. There's no furniture. <laughs> but the old owners had left this old, massive tin of, like, instant lemonade. Oh. So we arrive here. It's hot. We go running around, and we go back into the house and, you know, get whatever crusty ice is, like, left in the freezer, <laughs> mix up this instant lemonade. And I remember thinking that was, like, the moment where I was like, well... 
I guess this is life now. Maybe it's going to be okay. You know, this huge tin of powdered lemonade is going to sustain us through this change. It's my know? only friend. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Luke, do you have do you have a moment like that where you a new food it got this you know crackle of memory? Yeah, I mean, so many. Um, and I know I've talked before a lot about how the first time I went back to Taiwan, you know, when I was six or seven years old, was such a like pivotal of memory for me and and especially in terms of food but like one thing that comes to mind right now is I remember there was one day where my relatives in Taiwan were just like oh we, like let's not cook today like <laughs> we, we, we can't cook let's just let's get instant noodles right and um and so they went down to like the local 7-eleven and they came back with uh we we call it fu pei mei niuromi and it's like named uh it's not technically called that but like one of the famous celebrity chefs in Taiwan had basically consulted on these noodles and these instant noodles in Taiwan are amazing because <laughs> they come with like some like somehow it has this shelf stable like <laughs> hunk of beef that comes inside the package of the noodles and when you open it up it's like all all like the beef fat is like congealed and you slide it into the the hot water and it just turns into this like amazing rich soup and so i remember that day we had these instant noodles and then they we also had these like cold just like steamed bamboo shoots that we dipped in sweet mayonnaise and i still just think back on that meal and i think um that's why i think for me and also a lot of other immigrants instant noodles is yeah. like such a comforting food because i think we just remember that as like a kid like such a luxury like our parents would let us have instant noodles you know <laughs> yeah. and now i can eat it anytime i want yeah. <laughs> man that's why that's why luke's eye is the best uh food writer in the game <laughs> he just made this i just i need to eat this instant noodle right yeah, now you're like shelf stable beef why <laughs> yeah, have i yeah. never wanted that before yeah, <laughs> yeah. i can i honestly can listen to luke talk about food or read Luke talk about food forever. I, that's Absolutely. all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get to do it a little more after the break. We're talking about food memories with KQED food editor Luke Sai and comic artist Tin Fam, who's got a new graphic memoir out. It's family style, Memories of an American from Vietnam. We're going to get to more of your calls and comments after the break. We're talking about dishes that are always kind of associated for you with an important time in your life, these kind of deep food memories. The number is 866-733-6786. The email's form at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about food memories with KQED food editor Luke Sai and comic artist Tin Pham. Tin's got a new graphic memoir, Family Style, Memories of an American from Vietnam from First Second Press. Um, guys, let's go to a few of these uh, phone calls and then we'll come back to your story, Tin. Uh, Justin in Piedmont. Welcome. This is such a great show, and I'm sitting here laughing and smiling. I love it, and it's so meaningful to me. So I grew up in Piedmont, and uh, well, actually, I grew up in uh, San Francisco. I live in Piedmont right now, but uh, I'm the son of a Chinese and Russian immigrant. And, um, you know, growing up at my dinner table, I never thought second that it was strange, but we would easily have pitterski and borscht and pickled herring, as <laughs> oh. well as, like, xiaolong bao, and we'd making dumplings, and we'd have, like, spicy Szechuan peppercorns and all these things. And I, I never put it together until I was like 30. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, every family didn't eat like, like this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this? You know, and then so I asked my mom for my 30th birthday to give me my grandma's life story because she was, you know, multi-generational household. I said, give me my grandma's life story by food she was eating and city she was living in. <laughs> and wow. so I got this book. It was like a veritable book with pictures and locations and family stories. And my grandma's still alive at the time, so she gave a first-person account. And it inspired me to cook these meals for the public. So with my partner, Chris Treggiari, we run an art studio together. He and I started what we call War Gastronomy. And it was like a practice of collecting stories from the public and sharing them, but as recipes. And so, you know, the first one we started was like a really simple um, Dan Mian, like a Taiwanese, like noodles with sesame, kind of like tahini sauce. And we shared it with like, I think we had like a Russian side and then we had like an American soda or something with it. But we never sold the food. We always traded it. And then we've been collecting these stories as a way to, to do this. And every time we wow. do an event, we cook. The food's not that good. It's like, I'm not a chef. <laughs> I'm a manager. But it's it's about the story, food. really. Like, yeah. It's about the story. So we, that's why we don't sell it, because we don't want to be beholden to expectations, right? Like market expectations, like whatever. And so we, we, just, we collect the story. You have to trade a recipe as a story. Then next time, we cook your recipe. And, you know, I've had very personal recipes of, loss and love and murder and you know dislocation wow. but we usually say like how do you what challenges have you faced in your life and how have you overcome this and what were you eating at the time <laughs> and tell us that story of that food and then you know so like i said so my personal wow. story would be like this noodle dish tastes like that or here's a dumpling recipe that, you know very kind of generic in a lot of ways everybody has those like i've got these great memories of growing up and like you know, like put the jiaozi together and wrap them with my whole family, like in a, like a, how do you say, like a assembly line, right? Yeah. And then we'd have jiaozi dumplings for like the next month or whatever. But, you know, it's so great to see these personal stories where somebody, like, do you mind if I tell you a quick story of somebody? Keep it real, keep it real quick, but yes. Okay. So long story short, this guy grows up in a trailer park and his, he's living with his father. His uncle comes in and his uncle says, pack up your bags, everybody. I killed the wrong man. We got to go. And his father stands up, punches his brother in the face, picks his brother up and says, all right, let's get up the trash bags and put everything we own in these trash bags. He turns to his son and says, son, uh, his name was um, Sam, I need you to make your tuna sammies that you make the same way every time. He's probably seven years old. He said, you make the best tuna sammies and it's just all you know, made up. They're not especially good or anything. It's like a piece of bologna or a piece of, you know, Wonder Bread and some mayonnaise. I need you to make, I'm oh, sorry, make your, your tuna sandwiches with um, the same way you do every time. And he stood there at the kitchen in the trailer home 
as they like packed up furiously all their possessions and hit the road. And he told me that from then on, every time he made a tuna sandwich, that was like a routine. He did it. He stood there, he put the tuna fish down, he mixed in the pickles, whatever. You know, he had the recipe he gave us, and that was like an anchor for having wow. calm in a time of chaos. Yeah. And for him, the rest of his life, that's what he did when he felt he needed to find home. Is like anchor himself through the process of making food. Wow. Right. So. My project, we do this all the time. It's called War Gastronomy. That's awesome, And it's just Justin. super fun to hear and to share. Thank you yeah. so much. Hey, thank you, Justin. Really appreciate that. I mean, Tim, this is like your, this is that, that finding of calm. I mean, that is the, the saltiness of the fish, yeah. the sweetness of the rice. Justin's right? my neighbor, so I would love that. It just didn't <laughs> let me know uh, where uh, I can eat that. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Um, let's, uh, let's get to Donna in Alameda. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Hey, I want to say a special shout out to Sam because Sam and I worked together a couple of years ago. And, um, oh, oh, Donna. How you doing? Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm Good. Great. I'm so excited to hear you. I'm so excited for all of this. <laughs> um, and I wanted to share one of my um, comfort foods, which comes from Scotland. My parents are Scottish, and I probably spent a quarter of every year growing up in Scotland between the summers and the winters. And I fondly remember the first time I was out for New Year's Eve, and it's like 6 a.m. at a house party. I was probably 14. And the person hosting the house party says, who wants a chip buddy? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want a chip buddy. And I'm thinking, okay. Donna, I'm so (laughs) excited for what a chip buddy is. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm so excited right now. (laughs) Yep. And so you won't eat it, that's for sure. And so – the guy comes out from the kitchen with this platter of sandwiches and a chip buddy is a piece of white bread with a humongous slab of high fat butter on it. And then you make chips that they make in Britain chips in your fryer that sits on the uh, kitchen stove all the time. You take the chips out of the dripping grease and you pour them all over the pieces of white bread. And then you top them with another piece and that's your chip buddy. It's a, Grease dripping <laughs> potatoes. Sounds good to me. White bread butter sandwich, and there's no ketchup, there's no salt, and it is the best thing in the world on New Year's Eve at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's actually medicinal in Scotland. It has its purpose, but um, I remember it fondly. And if I go to Scotland and I'm up around 6 a.m., I'm always looking for a chip buddy. Yeah, uh, I can see that served in like a Michelin star restaurant, like uh, cut out perfectly and uh, just presented right? on a plate in the middle of a plate. In like a tiny stack, you <laughs> exactly. know, almost like a terrine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A deconstructed chip buddy. That's, That's what I'm right. looking for. It's like course number four, <laughs> chip buddy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Donna, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Absolutely. Donna. Thank you. Um, you know, Tim, I wanted to ask you, you know, as you arrived in San Jose, you know, the Vietnamese community has been growing, you know, 70s, oh, 80s, yes. 90s. As you encountered it, I mean, how did the community work back then? And kind of how have you seen it evolve and diversify and continue to grow? Oh, I, I um, back then, we, we it was a very... Um, like intercircle, a small community, but the community were like really loved each other and helped each other out quite a bit. I remember there would be times in our we lived in um you know a, pretty much an apartment complex that was just all um a Vietnamese uh, refugees, 
And they 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 they, they stayed there because it, it was uh, um, affordable, and there was a church next to it that uh, had sponsored a lot of the Vietnamese refugees, and also it was in close proximity to San Jose City College, which mm. a lot of um, the the immigrants would um, uh, Vietnamese people would um, go there to um, learn uh, English and to try to learn a trade, um, and. Uh, and I remember that whenever we would know hear of a restaurant, or the the entire community would go, like on a weekend, and it would be just like, you know, fifteen people going out to this new restaurant because there wasn't that many Vietnamese restaurants, mm-hmm. and they were po- starting to pop up in downtown San Jose, and you would go to like Dalat or um, some restaurant that had just opened up, or or uh, a sandwich shop, like. I remember uh, there would be times where someone would want somebody in the community would go to a banh mi shop in downtown and just buy literally like 50 banh mi's <laughs> and would just um, throw it onto a table in one of the apartments. And throughout the day, people would just come in, grab one, eat, take one, all that stuff. And it was just basically there and sustained us for a weekend. Oh, now, when I go back to San Jose, you know, I am. I feel so happy. It's a, such a happy, uh, like the, our our community has grown so much, and one of the things that I love when I uh, go back is to see how uh, my generation and uh, kids that are younger than me has kind of taken over the mantle of their parents' mm-hmm. businesses, or or taken over the mantle of. Uh, um, of just growing this community, you know, with the, the education that we got here in America, with our, um, or, or w- with how hard we worked, um, you know, they're they're just bringing it to a whole new level, you know. And if you go back to San Jose, you, you can go to actual whole strip malls that would be called Vietnam Town, and it would just be full of some of the best Vietnamese food that you ever seen with. Uh, amazing uh, cooks and recipes from from like very traditional recipes that have also been tweaked a little bit and, mm-hmm. and changed around with all the influences that we have now and just to present something that's really purely traditional but also very Vietnamese American mm-hmm. you know um, and and it like warms my heart because because we've for so long taken for granted like our our upbringing and our um, our our history, um, and like for so long when growing up, we've always thought of as our food as like lesser, you know, like it. This yeah, this is uh, we love Vietnamese food, but it's stuff that we brought. It's not like this fancy American food. Mm-hmm. It's also the same as how we saw ourselves, kind of like we always thought of ourselves as kind of like lesser people because we came here looking for a better life, you know, and. And I love seeing now that we've embraced our culture and like taken the influence that we ha- we've gained from America and 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 appreciate our past and appreciate our immigration and appreciate our food. You know, our food isn't lesser. It's it's just it's different and just as good. Maybe, maybe even sometimes better than any of the other food that is in in the world. You know, and and I yeah. love that Vietnamese people and Vietnamese immigrants are starting to embrace that. Claim your spot. In yeah. This gastronomical culture and yeah. right now I think when me and Luke have seen the trend of like like Michelin star chefs who are going back to their roots mm-hmm. you know the, um, like they're, they're opening amazing like like a Korean chef that um, 
from the, uh, San Francisco would you know like was a, a chef at a Michelin star restaurant and now is opening up a, a Korean barbecue based on his yeah. his you know th- those things like like the appreciation for where we come from and 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 where our families came from and uh, like finding the love in that now and um and uh and the and the beauty in it is uh yeah it's really great you know luke you i feel like have encountered many different food enclaves in your time you know in in san jose certainly when i took a weekend down there i was like luke where do i go and you <laughs> a list of like 30 places i was like all right only there for a weekend um but t- talk to me a little bit about how you've encountered that really remarkably vibrant kind of cultural mix. Yeah, you know, and some of our listeners might recall um, that uh, we actually did a whole series uh, that was about San Jose food. Um, and the, the sort of headline of it was um, San Jose, uh, the Bay Area's great immigrant food city, yeah. right? And Tin actually contributed a comic to that, you know, so Tin, Tin and I have talked about this a lot as well. And so I, I want to throw it to, to Tin because I think it is true that San Jose is not just the Vietnamese community, but there are all these other immigrant enclaves there, you know, whether you're talking about Mexican, whether you're talking about, um, you know, East African or Somali, you know, all these different food cultures. And I guess I, I, I wondered, you know, sort of growing up there, um, how sort of encountering those intersections, sort of how you saw that and maybe how that influenced you in terms of developing like your taste as, as like a food person, you know, growing up. Yeah, I, growing up, I, there was a, a vibrant food scene there, but it wasn't as, as, um, as vibrant as it is now. You know, Silicon Valley exploding has really brought out so many different, uh, cultures and um, and restaurants and stuff like that. Now, like when we go back there, to, like Lucas is, is uh, when we did that series, or when he invited me to eat at, uh, for eat through San Jose, I was like, yes. I was like, you know, I think I responded in less than a second. I think I responded before he asked, and he was like very weirded <laughs> out about it. But I was like, let's do this. And we, I think one day we ate at like maybe six Korean places. In one day, we were so full. And then there was one day in Fremont where we ate at all these different um, uh, Pakistani, Afghan and Pakistani restaurants. And it was just like amazing uh, experiences. And um, as growing up, I I didn't think I saw it very much like that. And at the time, again, um, I was still uh, like finding my way. So... It wasn't until I was an, uh, kind of like out of college and an adult that I started to appreciate like some of the really nuanced dishes. Like I at the time that was San Jose was where I had my first sushi, like mm. for example, mm-hmm. and like um, and my first like Korean fried chicken and 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 and, uh, and that that I remember even now though when I go back I'm constantly learning new things. It's a constant yeah. like like thing. Yeah. Like I remember when you took me t- and we had uh, Cowby Gym, yeah. right at, at the the cream place, and that blew my mind. Like I had never had. So I think it's always evolving, and and it's 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 uh, and there's just so much of it, you know, yeah. that that it's fantastic. You can step outside of San Jose and basically uh, have a amazing. Uh, food of almost every ethnic culture yeah. there. Yeah. Let's squeeze in one final call. Let's get to uh, Kathleen in Nevada. Welcome. Hi. Just a moment. 
Hi, this is Kathleen. Thank you so much for letting me be on. Um, yeah, I know um, food is a huge part of our life and our culture. I'm an African-American woman. And um, we, my daughter developed a very uh, a really, uh, uh, adventurous palate when she was young. And we had a tumultuous life at home, so we ate out a lot. And so we did a lot of food discovery in San Francisco. We, uh-huh. did, we did everything. And she ended up loving sushi, but uh, her mom... Her, her her grandma on her dad's side, we would pick greens sometimes to make southern food, and it, there was such a like a bonding moment in picking the greens. It was like, mm. you know, uh, a spiritual maybe. And mm-hmm. I was telling the other lady that a white woman in Diamond Heights actually taught me a lot about cooking. She had all these fabulous pots. This was back <laughs> in the late 70s, early 80s, and, and I was her housekeeper. So she had all these fabulous pots and all this seasonings and all these cookbooks and I used to roam through her cookbooks and she used to show me things and let me cook things and all kinds of stuff and use all her fancy stuff. So I learned a lot from her. But um yeah I Oh guess, Kathleen, uh, I love that story about the yeah. about the greens and picking the greens together. That really can be I mean I think um I think we'd probably all agree, Tin, that like some of those moments where you are all eating or preparing food together can really feel like truly, you know, touching some other realm. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for, for bringing that to us. Tin, you there? Yes. Yeah. Are there, you know, last, last thing for you. Um, if someone is going to San Jose, they want to go to a Vietnamese restaurant tonight. Like, Oh, they, man. I know. It's tough. It's tough. It's, you know. Oh, man. Uh, th- there's so much. My, uh, you know, I, I, my family has been going to the same uh, pho restaurant. Um, I I still go back to uh, to San Jose every Saturday to have uh, lunch with my um, my nephew, yeah. and we go to a, a pho restaurant called Dak Phuc, uh, and it's in downtown San Jose. D A C F H U C, and it's my favorite pho place. It's kind of like serves like a home style pho restaurant. But I would That's say right now, if you just wanted an overall uh, Vin- uh, Vietnamese meal, go to Vietnam Town. Uh, that mall just has yeah. everything is a hit there. Um, <laughs> right. And Pho Hanoi is, is another restaurant that you would l- enjoy. Thank you so much. Tin Fam, new graphic memoir, Family Style, Memories of an American Vietnam. You've been so awesome. And thank you, Luke Sai, as always, for doing all you can eat with us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with guest host, Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.